Well, good morning. So Sam mentioned that he is getting married and he asked for prayer. And I just want to specify that should probably be directed towards Abby. She's going to have to live with him till death do them part, which some days might come sooner than later. Um, but no, if you'll keep praying for them as they get ready for their wedding this week, um, we hope that they have a very happy and blessed marriage. Uh, so every December, speaking of happiness, people say it is the most wonderful time of the year. You know, we have that season, that holiday that we call Christmas. And especially if you're younger, there's just this excitement around it as little kids are writing lists that they're going to send off of, man, this, this is what I want. I mean, I can remember growing up and if you've ever seen um, a Christmas story and it's like, man, I want a Red Ryder BB gun. And everybody's like, That's, you're going to shoot your eye out. And the kid is just like, I don't care. I want a Red Rider, Red Rider BB gun. And that is what is going to make me really happy. And then as you know, the story goes, he gets the Red Rider BB gun. He goes out back. He shoots. And next thing he realizes, he shot his, didn't literally do it. But he was afraid that he shot his eye out. And that's kind of the story of, not that's the worldly story of Christmas every year. Oh, this is going to be the year that I get fill in the blank, and it's going to make me happy. I'm going to be so happy that I got that present. And just recently, this past uh, couple weeks, my parents have been going through their attic, bringing down all the toys from when I was little. And I get to go back through them, and it's like, oh, my goodness, look at this Hot Wheel that is totally destroyed right now. I wasn't good on toys. But it's like, look at this Hot Wheel. I remember when I thought that was going to make me happy. And look at where it is 30 years later. It's in my parents' attic. And then they, they bring the toys over to me, and I'm going through them, and it's like, yeah, that one you can trash. That one can go. There's a little sentimental value to that one. I want to keep it. But that one, I really don't care if we have it anymore or not. And these things that I looked at and I thought was going to bring me happiness only lasted a little while. Might have made me somewhat happier, but it was not that lasting happiness. And I would argue that everybody in this world is seeking after something. And I would almost make the claim that everybody in this world is looking for happiness of some form. They're looking for either happiness in purpose. You're trying to find out what is your purpose in life. It must be in this job. If I could get that job, then I would have a better purpose. And in that job, I would find happiness. Maybe they're looking for happiness in their identity. Who am I? You know, now, especially as people start to enter college and then they get out of college and enter the real world, and it's like, I'm now an adult. I'm now a graduate. I'm now a career man. I'm now a married man. I'm now a parent. Constantly looking for happiness in your identity. Thinking, when I know who I am, that's when I will find happiness. Maybe it's happiness in your value. How important am I really? And so honestly, I play stupid little games like I'm not going to text that person, even though I'm thinking about them. I'm not going to reach out to them. I'm going to see if they reach out to me first because I want to know how important I really am to them. And then four days later, Heather finally messages me and I have my purpose. No, she's good. But you know, we play those dumb little games. 
Where it's like, how much, how important am I really? What is my value to this person? And there's, there's the whole, you know, Christmas or even just general gift exchange where it's like, well, they bought me a $10 gift. So now I have to buy them a $15 gift because they told me I'm worth 10. And I don't want to say, well, you're really only worth five. So I have to up the ante on that. And we're seeking for happiness and value. And lastly, that I could think of, and there are so many more, but maybe it's happiness and possessions. I mean, golly, we live in America, the land of opportunity and stuff, where we have units that we pay to store stuff in that we're not going to open up for 15 years, but we're dropping $150 a month on that thing so that we could keep our stuff, that we might be able to be happy if we have it. I'll be happy when I get that new house, that new vehicle, that new phone, that new whatever it is. I mean, I, I was just thinking over there growing up, I remember, man, if I could get an old Nintendo. It was like, when I got a Nintendo, I would be happy. Finally, my parents bought me a Nintendo. The problem is, is that the Super Nintendo came out. So I was still behind the game. And so it was like, oh man, if only I could get a Super Nintendo. Well, then the 64 came out and it just kept working its way up. And it's like, oh, I'm always somewhat happy, but that would make me happier. I hope you're getting the point. That we are always trying to find something that will make us happy. But we're looking at this series as we're going to start studying the book of Ecclesiastes in which Solomon is looking for happiness and purpose. And, and, and really, the answer is, what is the meaning behind it all? That's what we're looking at today. What is the point? What is the point of our life? What is the point of the things that we do? What is the point behind everything that happens? Because Jordan Peterson, he's this really awesome philosopher, uh, psychologist, and he says this comment. He says, experience is the best teacher, and the worst experiences teach the best lessons. But what Solomon is doing for us right here in the book of Ecclesiastes is he is saying, I'm experiencing it. Learn from me. You know, you, every parent wishes their kids would learn from their own mistakes. That is like, don't be an idiot. Think about it. What would an idiot do? Just don't do that. And so learn from my mistakes because I've been an idiot a lot. And it's like I can tell you that when you want that next vehicle, it's going to break down on you. And you're going to be a whole lot more in debt over it. And whatever you say, this is what will bring me happiness, it's not going to. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to ask, we haven't done this for a while, will you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it's already been in the, it has been already in the ages before us. 
There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. Father God, we just come before you. And God, I pray that as we see this passage in what your inspired divine word has to say to us, may we learn from it. And may we just, God, out of that, surrender ourselves over to you. So I just pray that you speak through me to our hearts that are open to hear what you have to say. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So this book kind of gives us a glimpse of who wrote it. Right there in verse 1, it says, The preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so there's this general consensus, even though he doesn't specifically say who it is, the general consensus is that this is Solomon one of the wealthiest men to ever walk on this earth, the wisest man to ever walk on this earth aside from Jesus. And so here he is saying, I have all the resources at my disposal. I have everything available. And that's what we're going to look at next week is just the extent that Solomon went to looking for happiness and purpose. Because just a real quick, in today's society, right now, right today, Solomon would have been the 17th wealthiest nation, not just person, nation out of, I don't know, I think there's like 200 plus nations in the world. He ranks number 17 out of how rich he is, how wealthy he is. And so the guy has things at his disposal and he is going around trying to find out what is satisfaction what what is the purpose of it all and he says in verse 12 of chapter 1 he says i the preacher have been king over israel in jerusalem and i applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven it is an unhappy business that god has given to the children of man to be busy with I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, striving after the wind. You see, this is where we need to learn from somebody else's experience. That Solomon has taken all of his resources, all of his abilities, and he said, I am going to seek after. What is the meaning of this all? And he says right there, it is vanity, which that word vanity means emptiness, and it can also, if you uh, read the NIV, it's translated meaningless. I like those two words, emptiness and meaningless. Because so often we see the things that I am setting my heart towards that are of this world, I'm going to pursue after them, and I'm going to see, man, it's empty. Yeah, I might have been the best player on my peewee basketball team just to get cut never when I made it to junior high. Didn't really happen. I was awesome until, you know, high school and then... Man, that was arrogant. Never mind. Um, I'm joking. But, you know, like, I didn't make it to the NBA. Had a lot going against me there. But whatever it is, it's like, man, I, you know, made that next $1,000. Yes, just to find out that 50% ends up disappearing right whenever I get it. It's not the money that I wanted. We're constantly looking for something and we keep seeing it comes back, leaving us empty. We strive wholeheartedly for it just to find out that there's more and more stress that comes alongside it. And this is the thing that we also have to understand. There is a phrase that is repeated 29 times in this little book. And it is that word under the sun mentioned in verse 3. 
It is all vanity under the sun, meaning that in a sense, it is all meaningless. It is all pointless. It all brings emptiness. And that word under the sun or that phrase, it means here on earth, implying apart from an eternal perspective. And so that's why it leads me to ask the question that we opened up with, what is the point? If you are not living with an eternal perspective, if you are not living for the creator of the world, if you are just thinking, I'm here today, and at some point my, my life will cease to exist, what is the point of it? To try and obtain as much stuff as possible, to leave it behind? Never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch, you know? To, to try and build a name for myself just so that whenever I pass away in a generation, I'll never be remembered. I'm not a president. I'm not that big of a dude. Like, you guys might remember me, I hope. But it's like, who, who's really what I'm striving for? Who's going to remember that? And so apart from God, what is the point of it all? What is the point of everything if we are just to live here for the span of our lives and then cease to exist? And Solomon goes ahead and he tells us. He says, learn from my experience. The point of it all is nothing. It's meaningless. It's empty. He said that in verse 2 through 4. He said, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. You know, at some point, we're all going to be laying on that final bed where we're about ready to breathe our last and it's, it's a question that a lot of people ask, if you could do it all over again, what would you do? And man, there's wisdom in those answers. I'm like, man, I would do, dedicate way more time to my family instead of to my career. I would have invested in my kids. I would have invested in my relationships. They're like, I would have invested in the things that are truly important. And Solomon right now is telling us, do that now. Listen to me, because I went through it all, and I sought for the meaning of it all. And you can think, yeah, but Solomon, you didn't. And he's like, I did. We're going to see next week, he built things, he spent things, he thought relationships, I'll surround myself with all these beautiful women and servants and maidservants. And he's like, it all left me empty. Learn from him. That if you are just living for the here and now, it is going to leave you empty. There is a deeper point because Solomon goes on in verse five through eight to explain to us through nature the ceaseless striving that this life has, the, the ceaseless effort that we go through just to really wind back up at the same spot. He says in verse five, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north. Around and around the wind goes and on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So Solomon is giving us these instances of the wind blowing, the sun rising, and a stream flowing. I mean, think about it. For the last thousand years, or multiple thousands of years, the repetitive cycle of the sun. I mean, it 
technically the sun doesn't move. We move around the sun, but the sun rises, the sun sets, just to repeat again. Think about it. It's like, hey, when you're a little kid, you're like, I can't wait to start school, like really little. And it's like, I'm, I'm so excited to start school. And then you go to school and it's like, oh my goodness, I have 12 more years of my life where I have to go sit in this class and study and learn. And then I go home and if my teacher is really mean, they send school home with me. And then it's like, I can't wait to get to college where I get to do the same thing, but then I have to pay for it. And then it's like, you know what, I can't wait until I get a career because then I'll have to pay even more. Even though I'm getting paid, a lot of it goes away and then I'll have kids and they cost me money. And it's just like the ceaseless striving. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do my work. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to repeat. If I'm lucky, I get a weekend where I might get a respite from it. But that comes with its own busyness. It's like the thing that we think this will bring me happiness is not going to bring us happiness as the sun continues to technically not circle, but rise and set. The wind continues to blow and the streams continue to fill the ocean. Notice the ocean's not getting any fuller as much as we try to fill our life with stuff. And with things of this world, it's not going to fill the hole in our heart that is trying to find purpose and identity and meaning and value. The same cycle, wake up, live life, go to sleep. If it is under the sun, apart from God, it's vanity. What's the point? I mean, why is it that we see suicide rates so high when they have not an eternal view, but they just think, what's the point of this life? I have nothing to live for. I have sought in all the things that this world has to offer me, and it's all telling me nothing. But we have the hope that is found in Jesus. Apart from God, everything you strive for will end up in emptiness. Even your family, the blessing that they can be from God, if you are like, my family will satisfy me, my family will fulfill me, it's going to leave you empty apart from God. That everything is vanity. That's how Solomon ends up telling us in verse 8. He says, all the things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing. We keep looking at new and new things and it's like, I want more and I want more and I want more. The ear is never filled with hearing. I saw this clip a while ago and it reminded me, man, this is the perfect example of our striving after things. It's a raccoon with cotton candy for a meal. And so just watch it. He's got the cotton candy. Man, he's excited. This is going to be delicious. Oh my goodness. Where did that go? And man, is that not a great picture of our life and striving after the things of this world? Man, I got that new thing. I got that relationship. I got that promotion. I got what was going to bring me happiness. And then the moment we get it, it disappears. And we're left searching for the next thing. We're continually striving. Because the thing is, the world is always promising this is new and this is great. This is what is going to bring you happiness, and it is a lie. It is a complete and utter lie. I mean, you look at all of these, um, hey, 
Join a timeshare. Heather and I, we're going to Mexico in May because they told us that, hey, come back and we will give you a better place to stay. You just have to listen to this two-hour speech, which we've listened to twice now. And boy, are they cunning. I mean, we go in there and they're like, oh, you two are just a beautiful couple. And it's like, tell me something I don't know. She lifts me up, you know. I mean, I'm a four, she's a 10. We average out. But it's like, you know, we are just, it's a joke, people. But um, it's just like, gotta stop sticking my foot in my mouth. Um, But we go there and they're like telling us everything. And they're like, you know, you could buy your kids a present that would disappear. Or you could just for the small price of five grand buy a timeshare with a thousand extra dollars every year and then you would be able to take them anywhere and they would really be happy and then you leave and it's like are you stuck in a timeshare ponzi scheme contact us and we'll get you out of it and it's like the thing that promised me happiness the thing that the world is telling me is going to bring me joy is not true And they're like, oh, but this one's new. This one's not a timeshare. This one is a cooperative, different word, same thing. And Solomon tells us in verse 9, don't fall for their schemes. He says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said? See, this is new. It's not. It has already been in the ages before us. You see, there's a world out there that is going to try and tell us, look here, and you will find happiness. And I'm not just talking about they're telling the world that. That is what they are trying to influence you, the believers, that, hey, Jesus, he'll give you a little bit, but you need Jesus plus, and then you will find ultimate happiness, that constant struggle. Seeking for happiness, meaning, and purpose in all of the wrong places. I mean, I think a job that will always have a security in their job is a counselor and a therapist and a lawyer. Because you're trying to get out of something that you committed to before thinking, or you are in a depressed state because this world is getting darker and darker. And every single person can relate to that. Maybe you haven't fallen for that scheme, but you can relate to the thought, if I can get that, it'll make me happy. I mean, I don't really care who you are. You've had that thought before of this is what will make me happy. I'm not happy in my job. I'll find a new one. I'm not happy in my marriage, I'll find a new one. I'm not happy in my house, I'll find a new one. We can replace everything. So again, we're left with the question, what is the point? What's the purpose of it all? And Solomon, he tells us under the sun, he says in uh, verse, or chapter 2, verse 23, he says, all his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Even at night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better than that a person should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. And so it's like, yeah, if you don't have that relationship with Christ, if you are not a believer and living for that higher purpose, The best thing you can do is eat, sleep, and be happy, and work, and try and find as much joy as you can in this life, because this life is all you're going to have that brings joy. But 
if you are a believer. And this is the huge part. Apart from God, there is no point. But with God, he gives everything a purpose. He gives everything a point. He has called you to live for something far greater. The way that you live your life, starting now, is for eternal purposes. So that everything you do has a purpose, has an impact. It's for eternity. If there's no Jesus, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then live how you want. Live the way of this world. But if Christ has been raised from the dead, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. He says, if Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ is not raised from the dead, why are you here? Why are you not out there with the world living it up and trying to experience your best life? But that's the catch. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So therefore, we have a hope. We have a purpose. We have a meaning that goes far beyond anything this world has to offer us. That's why Paul in Philippians, when he is in prison, is able to say, I'm going to rejoice. Because when you look at it from a worldly perspective, it's like, man, Paul, you're in prison. What good is that? I mean, almost, Paul, your life would be better off if you just ended it. Go to the guillotine. But instead, Paul realizes, no, even in prison, I have a purpose. And he says, praise God that I am chained up to this guard for eight hours a day and I get to preach to him and then they switch him out and another guard comes in and I preach to him so much that the gospel has worked its way up to the higher courts he's like I have a purpose even in prison where people are like man what's the purpose there Paul's like I'm redeeming my time and I am living for the higher cause so that also while in prison, Paul was able to write what we talked about last week, Colossians 3. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. If that is true, then he says in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. First Corinthians, he tells us whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That when you are a believer in Jesus, you have been adopted into his family by the blood of Jesus, man, it transforms your life. So that no believer should say, what's the point? What's my purpose here? But instead, when you give your life to Christ, he says, this is your purpose. He says, I'm calling you to live for me. And you're not just living for some king. You are living for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says, your purpose is everything you do to point people to me because you are ambassadors for Christ. You say, well, what's my identity right now? He says, you have been adopted in to my family as sons and daughters. 
He says, you're mine. You want to know what your identity is? You are a child of the one true king. You are a part of that family that is close-knit. You are his. And he says, this is my beloved child whom I love. You are mine. He says, can a mother forget her child who is nursing at her breast? Yes, a mother may forget. How can I forget you, though? I have nailed you to my hands. Your scars remind me of who you are. He says, you are my child. You're looking for value? What greater value is there than that Jesus gave his life for you? I mean, some people, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he says, some people might die for a good person, though for a righteous person, some might dare to die. But Christ died for you while you were still weak, while you were still sinners. Christ gave his life for you. And he said, that's the value that you hold. The world might say, you know what, you're lower class. You know what, you're, you're just this. You are a cheat, you're a liar, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, you're a prostitute, you're whatever, fill in the blank that the world wants to try and say, this is your identity. Jesus says, no, you are forgiven and you are my child. I have taken you in. You are with me. And then you want possessions? Why would you trade the things of this world that are going to disappear for the eternity that you're going to have with God. It'd be like if I had a $10 bill right now and I said, I will give you this $10 bill or in the future and you can guarantee it, I'll give you a billion dollars. I mean, don't forsake the temporary satisfaction of $10 now for the billion that you'll have later. Don't forsake the life that God has called you to of an eternity of joy for the momentary satisfactions right now. That's what Satan wants to try and lie to us about. Oh, just give in to your flesh and it'll, it'll satisfy your needs. And it's like, yeah, maybe for a moment. And then I'm left seeking more. Where Jesus says, seek after me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. It's like the joke where the guy is walking up to the gates of heaven and he's bringing all his gold, and Peter, it's not biblically accurate, but Peter is standing there and he's like, hey, why did you bring pavement? We don't need that stuff. We just paved our streets with that. It's like, do not forsake the things of eternity for the temporary things of now. Jesus, he says it this way in Matthew chapter 16, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will a profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, you can keep searching after the things of this world and you will constantly come up empty. Or you can surrender everything over to Christ and live for him and you will be filled. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weak and weary laden and I will give you rest. We talked about in Sunday school this morning, Jesus talking to the woman at the well and he, she's just wanting water. And he says, if you would have asked me for the living water, I would have given it to you and you never would have thirsted again. And she's like, how do I get this water? And he says, it's he who speaks to you that can give it to you. And so if we come to Christ, he will fill us. That's the Psalm 23. 
It is how God is providing for us and filling us all our needs. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, right there in verse 1. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He gives me all the desires of my heart. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's painting a picture of what God gives us that cannot be taken away, that ultimately satisfies. Over and over in that psalm, he's painting What shall I want? I shall not want. He gives me green pastures. He gives me still waters. He gives me the desires of my soul. He overflows my cup. He doesn't just give me a little bit. He gives me an abundance. Come to him. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and life abundantly. Jesus is saying, there's one place that you're going to find purpose. There's one place only that you're going to find a point to your life, and that is found in relationship with him. So you can decide, no, I don't believe that. I'm going to keep living for myself, and you're going to keep coming up empty. Vanity of vanities. Emptiness of emptiness. It's all meaningless. Or... You can decide here and now, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for the higher calling that I have received. I'm going to live for the king of the universe. I am going to, whether I eat or drink in word or deed or work, whatever I do, God, I'm doing it for you. And he says, you will find purpose. And he says, it's easy to find. I noticed that this morning in John chapter 4, for the first time I've ever noticed it, Jesus says, ask and I would have given it to you. There's no tricks or gimmicks. It's just simply, Father, I need you. Ask, and he will give it to you. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to, well, I'm going to clean my life up first. Simply say, Father, I need you. God, I believe that it is through Jesus and Jesus alone that I can be in relationship with you, and everything flows out of that. And so I'm asking you, come into my life. Fill me with the living water so that I may never thirst again. Father God, we pray for those in this room who have not made that commitment, who are, who are constantly seeking through things of this world. And God, I'm guilty of that even. And so God, I just pray that you reveal to us who you truly are. And God, may that be the prayer of our heart right now, that you would come into our lives, whether it's for the first time ever, ever, or God, just now we're asking, we want more of you. And so God, help us open our hearts to more of you. Because you say that if we ask, you will give it to us. So God, we're asking that now, fill us with more of you. 
And if anybody has a decision to make right now, we're going to be at the front. You can come forward and you can pray with us. You can come forward and we'll walk with you about giving your life to Christ, whatever it is. But right now we're going to sing this song so that you can reflect on what God is talking to you about. If you'll stand, our hymn of invitation is number 506. So soon.